Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen news about developments in an area of Jerusalem called Givat Hamatos. Developments there are particularly sensitive as relates to the future of the city. But why is this area significant, and what could any kind of construction there by Israel mean for the start of the Biden administration as it faces the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the future of the two-state solution writ large? To help us understand this issue and its wider importance, we're fortunate to be joined by Daniel Seidman, an Israeli attorney specializing in the geopolitics of contemporary Jerusalem. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. So to jump right into it, uh, could you explain to us the significance of Givat Hamatos and its location relative to the West Bank and the rest of Jerusalem, uh, particularly Palestinian towns and neighborhoods? Givat Hamatos is pretty much a bare, rocky hill on the southern flank of Jerusalem, um, in an area that was under Jordanian control between 1949 and 1967, and it is consequently part of East Jerusalem. Uh, uh, to the west of Givatamatos is Gilo, one of the largest settlement neighborhoods in East Jerusalem, more than 30,000 residents. And uh, to the east is the highly controversial Har Choma settlement. Um, most importantly, to the north of Givatimatos is the Palestinian neighborhood of Beit Safafa. And to its south, uh, the city of Bethlehem on the other side of the separation barrier. So basically, Givatimatos is part of a rather wide corridor that uh, connects um, Beit Safafa with Bethlehem. Um, as a result of that, creating or building a settlement uh, in Givatimatos has far-reaching geopolitical ramifications uh, for two reasons. Number one, for the first time, it will surround a Palestinian neighborhood uh, completely by Israeli construction. Today, it's still possible to implement the Clinton parameters in Jerusalem, whereby Palestinian neighborhoods will be Palestine and Israeli neighborhoods will be Israel. After the construction of Givatimatos, that will no longer be possible. It is a game changer. Uh, secondly, Givatimatos is also part of a larger scheme to create a physical buffer between uh, East Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, East Jerusalem and Bethlehem are sister cities. They're separated by a wall, but they can be relinked when political circumstances will allow for that. Givatimatos uh, is part of a cumulative effort to create a physical seal that will cut off East Jerusalem from Bethlehem. An hour uh, ago, I heard from my friend and colleague Chagit Ofran from Peace Now that yet another scheme called Harachoma West uh, has been deposited for public review. Um, as a result of this, um, for more than a decade, 
Yevatimatos has been perceived universally in the international community and many in Israel uh, as more than just another settlement. It's a doomsday settlement because in and of itself, Yevatimatos can make the implementation of a two-state solution in Jerusalem impossible. And that's what's at stake. So you mentioned that this is a bare rocky hill. It's it's the last remaining undeveloped uh, part of Jerusalem. So this seems, at least from the perspective of the Israeli right, given everything that you've laid out as the kind of place that they would want to develop. So why have they waited until now? And this area came under Israeli control over 50 years ago. And what sorts of plans, if any, were advanced for Givat Hamatos previously? Um, why did Israel revisit this area over the past year? Um, I, I was not entirely accurate when I said it was a bear hill. Uh, there are um, a bunch of almost lean-tos, temporary housing, because in the early 1990s, with the large wave of immigration from um, the former Soviet Union and from Ethiopia, uh, temporary housing was put in Gevatimatos. Those immigrants are gone, but there are quite a number, there are probably 30 families of squatters there. But that's not what held it up. First of all, there were objective reasons. Uh, Israel has expropriated um, one-third, 33% of the privately owned land in East Jerusalem to build more than 55,000 homes for Israelis, uh, 600 for Palestinians. There's nothing left except for Givatimatos. There were objective difficulties because there were problems with land registration. Uh, the ownership was not clear. Uh, it was difficult turning this into a um, an area that was could be rationally planned. There were large areas, there still are, of Givatabatos um, that are owned by various churches, including um, uh, the Latin Custodia and the Greek Orthodox. But I would say for the last 15 years, uh, what has held up uh, Givatimatos has been the political consideration. Um, I have, in all of my years dealing with this, never seen the international community act in concert to oppose a plan as much as Givatimatos, because they see this, uh, as I mentioned, as, as a doomsday settlement. I will give you just two small examples. On October 1st, 2012, at 2.15 in the afternoon, uh, uh, Netanyahu's government approved the plan for Givatimatos, and four hours later, he walked into the Oval Office. And he was challenged personally and harshly by President Obama, uh, who basically laid down the law. Um, so what we're witnessing today about sticking it to a democratic president uh, is not unprecedented. And for years, Netanyahu has not dared proceed with Givatimatos. Uh, the engagement of the European Union has been superb, coherent, sustained, articulate. A day before 
the finalization of Givatamatos, and a few weeks before that, 17 member states of the EU jointly uh, um, uh, challenged Israel in a démarche over this. Um, Netanyahu is a great tactician, and he decided that the price for proceeding with Givatamatos was too high until now. Um, and he stands behind the timing of the approval of Givatamatos. He chose the timing. He did it with malice aforethought. It was done intentionally uh, hours and a couple of days before the Biden inauguration. You mentioned the idea of Netanyahu and the Israeli government trying to stick it to a new democratic president, uh, but there was an announcement that was issued last year, and it came a couple of weeks after our previous Republican president, Donald Trump, announced his administration's new uh, vision for peace, what they called peace to prosperity. Um, and that, of course, had this expansive vision of Israeli annexation of large parts of the West Bank and overriding Israeli control over the territories, um, including in Jerusalem. So what is the relationship, if any, between Givat Hamatos and the Trump administration's vision for the future of Jerusalem? I think what we're watching, what we're witnessing, is a continuum. And the continuum does not begin with the Trump plan. It is, uh, the Trump plan is, is part of it. Having observed Netanyahu for close to 30 years now, uh, it is clear that over the last decade, since he uh, assumed office again in 2009, he has been pursuing a policy of creating a unilateral border between Israel and so-called Palestine that would make any reasonable interpretation of a Palestinian state impossible. Um, it was not the Yura annexation, it was de facto annexation. His de facto annexation has been going on for years, and that de facto annexation uh, basically declares Israel uh, is the sole sovereign in Jerusalem, the Palestinians have no national rights and no equities in the city. If you want to read in words what Netanyahu's strategy has been, read the Trump plan. The Trump plan consigns or grants Israel uh, exclusive control over Jerusalem, east and west. But it goes deeper than that. It uh, entails the denationalization of the Palestinians in East Jerusalem. There's one national collective in Jerusalem, according to Trump, and according to Netanyahu, one collective. It's Israeli. Palestinians have been imbued with a diminished humanity. It requires the fragmentation of the West Bank, particularly in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. And finally, it, it entails the marginalization of the Muslim equities in the city. The Trump plan um, is not going to be implemented formally, but Netanyahu is still pursuing it. Because Trump's, the Trump plan, 
and the recognition and the move of the embassy all had the goal of taking Jerusalem off the table. Netanyahu is pursuing a policy on the ground that will make sure that Jerusalem is indeed off the table. The question of the timing still remains. Why has he done this? Why did he approve the tenders of Givat Matos five hours before the inauguration of President Biden? He's already had a major altercation with Biden in 2010 over settlements. He had a major altercation with President Obama. Um, to be honest with you, I'm a bit baffled by that. So what do you think it says about Netanyahu and the Israeli government's attitudes toward the Biden administration? Uh, for years, Netanyahu has been the Republican prime minister from Israel. Uh, he doesn't do Democrats. Um, but one would assume uh, Netanyahu is, has all sorts of Trumpian characteristics, but he's far more sophisticated and far more intelligent than Trump. Um, he is obviously pursuing a policy of in your face. Why he's doing that baffles me for the following reason. He is going to clash with the president over Iran. He's going to need an open uh, door, uh, uh, somebody willing to listen at least. He's going to need some goodwill. Uh, and um, what has been done by Netanyahu over the past several days uh, indicates uh, an element of antagonism towards the administration, extending, expending precious political capital. Um, uh, you have an American president who is dealing with a pandemic of biblical proportions, thousands dead every day, uh, an insurrection unlike anything we've witnessed since the Civil War, difficulties with Iran, China, and Russia, and Netanyahu has chosen to deliver to President Biden a completely gratuitous crisis. It didn't happen by mistake. It happened intentionally. Now, we're discussing the construction of what you've described as a doomsday settlement, but an Israeli court uh, recently lifted an order that froze the bidding process for construction tenders in Kivat Hamatos. Why was that suspension ordered in the first place, and why was it lifted? Great question. Uh, the... Legal proceeding was instituted um, by 25, I believe, Palestinian residents of East Jerusalem uh, who were organized by Iramim. Um, Aviv Tatarsky did a, a sterling job on this. Uh, and from the get-go, it was a Hail Mary pass. What Aviv discovered was that in the terms of uh, the tender, a large uh, number of the residential units that we rebuilt will only be um, of, uh, open uh, to those who have recognized eligibility for state-subsidized housing. Uh, 
um, which is in principle fine, except in order to be receive uh, that eligibility, you have to be a citizen of Israel. Uh, 345,000 out of the 350,000 Palestinians in East Jerusalem aren't citizens uh, and won't be able to compete. Uh, and that was the cause uh, for the injunction. Illegal discrimination, uh, ironically, at a time when the whole question of Israel and apartheid is looming large. Uh, two days after the injunction was granted, the state um, filed what are called a frantic, super urgent uh, motion to cancel the injunction. The judge rejected it. Uh, I was surprised they got the injunction. I was surprised that the judge uh, uh, gave the injunction. I think it was the correct decision. Two days later, the judge reversed her opinion. Uh, there was no request for her to do so. There was no external event. Um, I love our court system. I've been appearing for 35 years before the Israeli courts, but I find this very disturbing. I see this as a possible indication that um, the judge was in some way led to believe that this is extremely important to Netanyahu and his government, and the judgment was reversed. But once again, from the, from the beginning, the legality of this was not the major issue. The, the, the political, the legality under international law certainly is, and the political wisdom of this is. And this sequence of events is what brought us up to the moment of Netanyahu providing his approval for the construction tenders right before the inauguration of President Biden. That's correct. The decision was made, I believe, on November 12th, which means after the election. There were endless numbers of ways that Netanyahu could make this go away without paying a political price, without leaving fingerprints, through intermediaries. That was the message I was giving him. And through fairly prominent intermediaries in the international community. Not now. Make the best thing that you can do for Israel and President Biden, make Givatimatos go away. Not only did he not take advantage of those opportunities, he fast-tracked it. He intervened in order to make sure it happened before the inauguration. Looking ahead, what steps remain in the process before there's actually building in Givat Hamatos? Can construction still be halted? <sighs> Regrettably, I think it can't be stopped. Let me explain why. Until tenders are awarded, uh, until building contractors and developers become engaged, Israel and the government of Israel could at any time say, you know, I changed my mind. I'm not going to give, give, build Givatimatos. 
Once tenders are awarded and contracts are signed, third-party rights are involved. And that means that the government will have to cancel valid contracts with developers who have expended considerable sums of money. Um, it is so far-fetched, I believe it's virtually impossible. There's one precedent in the West Bank in 1994, I believe, when Rabin canceled awarded contracts, but that was the West Bank and uh, different situation uh, that uh, exists in East Jerusalem. As a result of that, um, the Rubicon was crossed on January 20th, 2021, Hours before the inauguration, that is when the construction of Givata Batos became virtually unstoppable. Um, I continue to look for cracks and look for ways of stopping this um, for the simple reason that I believe that as Tamir Pardo, the former head of our Mossad, said, the greatest existential threat to Israel in this generation is perpetual occupation, and occupation ends in one way, it ends in a border. And Givatamatos will make the creation of that border inordinately more difficult, if not impossible. So Givatamatos is not only political folly, it's not only picking a gratuitous fight with the President of the United States. It is inflicting strategic damage on Israel's most vital interests. So this is clearly a very important issue and one that we are going to be watching with great attention. And we'll also have to see how, if at all, the Biden administration responds to this. Danny, thank you for joining us and for sharing your insights on this important topic. My pleasure and keep up your wonderful good work. You're doing great. Thank you.